it was Christmas time and you were getting ready to celebrate with your family. You love Christmas, you love the holidays, and you love everything that comes along with it. The lights, the music, the festivities, and the family time. But little do you know, your town will be hit with one of the worst killing sprees in its history. And you and your family will become victims. Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. I actually just got my first request on my case request form, so I will be doing that case pretty soon. Like I said, you can use it too if you want me to cover a case of a loved one or a family member or just a general case request form. I have forms available in the episode description, and you can see the case that you suggested on my channel. Today we are going to be talking about the brutal Christmas killing spree of 1992 in Dayton, Ohio. This case is so senseless. These people were so selfish to carry out these killings and not even care. It was like there was no rhyme, no reason behind it whatsoever. They were literally just doing it for fun. But with that, let's get right into the case. In December of 1992, Dayton, Ohio was gearing up for one of their biggest holiday seasons. They would have festivities, Christmas lights, parades for the children. It was a really great time, but little did they know just how dark the holiday season was about to get. There was a group on the loose called the Downtown Posse, which is a really stupid name. And it consisted of Marvallis Keene, who was 19 years old and said to be the ringleader of the group, 16-year-old Laura Taylor, 20-year-old Heather Matthews, and 17-year-old Demarcus Smith. Together, they were a group of outsiders who really struggled in their lives and they just kind of lived on the fringes of society. Now, Heather Matthews was actually a substance addict, so she was pretty desperate for cash and was willing to get her hands on any kind of cash in order to feed her addiction. And Demarcus Smith, he was actually wanted by police for violating his parole. So this is kind of what the downtown posse was made up of. They just were very desperate for money, they were willing to do anything for it, and they pretty much had nothing to lose. Now, Heather and Demarcus were dating and Marvallis and Laura were dating. And keep in mind, Heather and Marvallis are over 18 and Laura and Demarcus are under 18, which is pretty predatory from the beginning. Like I said, Marvallis was kind of the ringleader of the group. He pretty much started it, but he wasn't always like that. He was actually a really good kid for majority of his life. But the year before in 1991, his brother was unfortunately killed during a robbery. And this changed Marvallis forever. He became a very angry kid. He was acting out. He had a horrible temper and his mother just couldn't take it anymore. So she sent him to live with his father in California, but they started having issues as well. So Marvallis came back to Dayton, but he didn't go stay with his mother. He decided to move into a cheap hotel with his 16 year old girlfriend, Laura Taylor. And Laura was actually a runaway. Again, somebody who lives on the fringes of society, is pretty desperate for cash and will do anything for it. But Marvallis and Laura are starting to run out of money living in this cheap motel. So they need a way to get some quick. And what do you do when you don't have a job and you're pretty much a criminal? You decide to rob people. And it was actually Laura's idea to go on a robbing spree in order to get some stuff that they could bring back to the motel. Laura is quoted as saying, let's have some drama in our lives. So Marvallis and Laura decide to recruit the rest of their group, Demarcus and Heather, to start going around and robbing people. They decide to pick their first victim, 34-year-old Joseph Wilkerson. Now Laura actually 
actually knew Joseph from around town and he was said to be what's called a local John. And a John is somebody who pays for sex from prostitutes. Laura actually set up a sexual situation that was gonna include her, Heather Matthews, who was also a part of the downtown posse, and Joseph Wilkerson. He was going to pay them for sex. But little did Joseph know what Laura and Heather really had planned. On Christmas Eve of 1992, Laura and Heather head to Joseph's house in order to carry out this sexual act for money, but they brought Marvalis along with them and Joseph had no idea that he was coming. Marvalis was kind of just waiting in the wings for his chance to attack. So Joseph goes back to the room with Laura and Heather and they're just getting undressed, but the girls are actually pretending to get undressed while Joseph gets fully undressed. Now I want you to keep in mind here, Joseph is 34 years old, Laura is 16 and she looks very, very young. So he has to know that she's a pretty young girl, but yet he's just deciding to do this anyway. As Joseph continues to get undressed, he's fully unclothed. Marvalis runs into the room with his firearm drawn and he immediately points it at Joseph. And at that moment, Laura and Heather, they stop pretending to get undressed and they tie Joseph to his own bed. After this, the three of them completely ransack his house looking for anything that they can steal. They stole his microwave, his TV, his house phone, a curling iron, and a blow dryer before stuffing all these things into his car in his garage that they were also going to steal. But while they were down there loading up the car of all this stolen stuff, Marvalis actually found a firearm in Joseph's garage. So he takes it and goes back upstairs to where Joseph is still tied to his own bed. Marvalis uses a bunch of pillows and blankets, puts it against Joseph's chest, takes the firearm and shoots Joseph with it. I guess he did that to muffle the sound, but Laura and Heather ended up hearing it anyway. And they run upstairs, they realize what Marvalis has done, but Joseph is still alive. So they know that at this point, they're like, well, we have to kill him. But his firearm is out of bullets. So Laura, in a frenzy, grabs the firearm that Marvalis brought and she shoots Joseph in the head, killing him. After this, the posse takes off with Joseph's car and all of the stuff that they stole from him. A few hours later, they go to pick up the last member of the posse, Demarcus Smith, and they decide that they still need money because they really didn't steal money from Joseph. They just stole stuff, but they still need money. They decide to walk around town and find someone that they can steal this money from. And that's when they come across a young woman at a payphone, 18-year-old Danita Gallette. Danita Danielle Gallette was born on July 6, 1974 in Dayton, Ohio. Her parents' names were Peter and Helen, and she was the youngest of eight siblings. In 1990, Danita gave birth to a daughter named Dominique. She was a young, devoted, and loving mother, and she was said to be so caring and had such a big heart. By 1992, Danita was working at a Rally's restaurant in Dayton while she was still finishing up her senior year of high school. So she was going to school full-time, she was working full-time, and she was raising her two-year-old daughter. I can't imagine how hard that was, but she had a really supportive family who was helping her out. And Danita was just a determined girl. She was gonna get it done and she was gonna do it for her child and herself. On the night of Christmas Eve, 1992, Danita was leaving her shift at the Rally's restaurant when she had decided to stop at a payphone. But before she was even able to speak, she was approached by the downtown posse, specifically Marvalis and Demarcus, and they had their firearms drawn at her, demanding that she give them all of her belongings. So Danita takes off her flannel and gives it to them, as well as her Fila shoes, and she gives that to them as well. But for whatever reason, this didn't stop them from shooting her anyway. Danita was shot 
five times in the chest, legs, and hands. And the hand wound actually indicated that she tried to defend herself while she was being shot. Danita was taken to a hospital where unfortunately she was pronounced dead from her wounds. When police arrived on the scene, they were able to positively identify her because of her school books that were in her book bag that were still left at the scene. This was absolutely heartbreaking for Danita and her family. Like I said, she had a pretty big family and she also had a daughter. They were all waiting for her at her mother's house to return home from work. I mean, it was Christmas Eve, it's the holidays, and for her to have been murdered that night, it was just too much for the family to bear. And the fact that she gave the stuff to them and they still killed her anyway, just irritates the hell out of me because she did what she wanted. Why didn't you just leave her alone? It was just senseless. When police arrived on the scene after identifying Danita's body, they found shell casings at the scene that belonged to blazer aluminum bullets, which are actually pretty rare to use in a murder. A lot of times these bullets are used for target practice. This was pretty noticeable to police off the bat and they knew that this was a very unique type of bullet, so they were gonna make sure that they kept this in the back of their minds. After the group kills Danita, they decide to go back to Heather Matthews' house where they kind of talk about what they had just done. And they talk about it with their two friends, Wendy Cottrell and Marvin Washington, two other members of the downtown posse. Now they were fairly new to the group, so they weren't involved in this whole killing spree at the time, but they were being told about it. The rest of the group was just bragging about the fact that they had killed Joseph Wilkerson and Danita Gallette. Now this is actually a very important detail, so keep that in the back of your mind. After they shoot and kill Danita, they realize that they still didn't have any money. Danita only had 50 cents in her flannel, which again, they killed her over a flannel, 50 cents, and a pair of shoes. So they're ready to go back out and rob someone else. And it was at that moment that Laura says, hey, we can rob my ex-boyfriend, 19-year-old Richmond Maddox. She knew that he had a car and he had money, so he seemed like the perfect target for them to go after. They all organize a plan for Laura to meet up with Richmond at his parents' house and they were gonna go for a drive. And that's exactly what Laura did. The following day on Christmas day, Laura is in the car with her ex-boyfriend Richmond and they're just driving along. But what Richmond doesn't know is that there's actually a car behind him filled with the rest of the posse that's following them, just waiting for Laura to rob Richmond and then she's going to escape with them. But Richmond didn't know that he was being followed until about halfway through the drive. He realizes that there's a car behind them that seems to be going everywhere they're going. But little does he know, Laura is actually working with those people. And as soon as he realizes that he's being followed, Laura immediately puts a firearm to his head. And at that moment, she shoots and kills him. Now it's pretty bold to shoot and kill the person that's driving the car that you're in, but Laura just didn't care. Very quickly, she robs him before jumping out of the car as it crashes into a tree. And Laura just runs away, flees the scene, goes in the car where the rest of the posse is, and they take off. Now, a lot of people saw this go down and police are called immediately. And it was there that they find the body of 19 year old Richmond Maddox inside of his car. Now, I guess they just assume that he died in the crash, but when they look at his body, they realize that he's been shot on the right side of his head. They also notice that there are no bullet holes entering any point of the car, meaning that the shot had to have come from inside. And given the direction he was shot, this person had 
had to have been sitting in the passenger seat. So it had to have been somebody that he knew. Police also speak to a witness who said they saw a young black girl fleeing the scene. So now we have an eyewitness account that can somewhat describe a suspect. Once police found out that someone was killed just miles away from where Danina Gallette was killed, they wondered if the cases could be connected. Both victims were shot at close range. They happened just within miles of each other and it appeared to be pretty random. But police figured that maybe they weren't connected because two different firearms were used in both murders. Police decided to talk to Richmond's family to see if there was anyone that may want to harm him or hurt him. And they said no, they couldn't think of anybody. But they did mention Laura Taylor's name, not as a suspect, but as somebody who may know who wanted to do this to him. So police decided to call Laura's family home to see if they could speak with her and figure out what she knew. But at that moment, police learned that Laura was missing. She was a runaway and hadn't been home in months. So that's when there was kind of a red flag raised. But at this point, they still didn't think she was a suspect. They assumed that maybe Laura was in danger and they wanted to get to her before anybody else did. But little did they know that Laura was the one who actually did this. While police are looking for Laura Taylor to speak to her and make sure that she's okay, all the while she's really a suspect, the downtown posse is still out looking for someone else to rob. And they go to a local gas station where they find a woman filling her tires with air. And at that point, Marvalis and Demarcus just run up to her and ambush her with their firearms. And they say, you will die today. And at that moment, they begin shooting at her. Now, luckily the woman was able to get away unharmed and she wasn't hit by any bullets whatsoever, but they did end up stealing stealing her car. She was able to call 911 and give a description of the men as well as her car that they stole, a black shadow Dodge, which is actually a very unique car to drive around in. So it wouldn't have been too hard for police to find. The downtown posse ends up taking this car and going to a local convenience store called the Shortstop Mini Market, which was owned by a local family that lived in the area. So the plan was for Laura to go inside and kind of case the place out before leaving. And then Demarcus and Marvellis were going to come in and rob the place. So Laura goes inside and she buys a pack of gum and she's just speaking with the cashier, 38 year old Sarah Abraham, whose family actually owned the store. She was part of the Abraham family. Sarah Abraham came to America from Ethiopia and according to her brother, she was the star of the family. She was so bright, so dynamic and very loving. Now her family had multiple businesses and she was running the convenience store and she enjoyed it. She liked contributing to the wealth and success of her family. So it was nothing to her to just help run one of the stores. Now that day in the store was Sarah Abraham, Laura Taylor walked in, another man, and a regular customer, 71-year-old Jimmy Thompson, who actually overhears Laura and Sarah talking, and he finds out that Laura can't afford a juice that Sarah actually suggested she buy. So he actually spots her the rest of the money in order to do so. But little did he know what this innocent-looking little girl was about to do. As soon as Laura walked out of the store, Marvellus and Demarcus stormed in with their firearms drawn and they went right up to the cash register where Sarah was and Marvellus demanded that she give him whatever was in there. Now there was only $44 in there, but Sarah just decided to give it to him anyway. But Marvellus still shot her once in the mouth and once in the head, and she immediately falls to the ground. They also shoot another man that's in the store. Now, luckily, Jimmy Thompson wasn't shot because he just decided to play dead until the suspects left. Eventually, they left and police were called. Luckily, the other two were okay, but unfortunately, Sarah was taken to the hospital where she died just four days later, making her the third victim in this very brutal killing spree. And she left behind an 11-year-old child.
This was really sad for the community to hear about because a lot of people knew the Abrahams because they owned so many businesses in town. For one of their own to just be killed that way, a lot of people couldn't believe it. When police arrived, they assessed the scene and they actually ended up finding the same shell casings that were at Danita Gallette's crime scene. Those laser aluminum bullets that, like I said, are very rare to use in murders. So that was when police started to connect these cases together. They also found that the witness descriptions matched the description of the men who were seen killing Danita Gallette and the men that were shooting at the woman who was putting air in her tires. Police were also able to match the car description of the getaway driver to the car that was stolen from the woman who was putting the air in her tires. So at this point, police are starting to put two and two together that all of these cases are connected. By December 27th, everyone in the group was pretty nervous. They were afraid that somebody was going to tell on them because by this point, they had done way too much to turn back. Marvalis and Demarcus had actually gotten word that Wendy and Marvin, remember the people I mentioned earlier that were at Heather's house, they were bragging to after they killed Danita. Well, they were scared that these two were going to tell on them. So Marvalis and Demarcus decided to devise a plan to lure them away from their home and kill them. They decided to take them out, drive them around, along with one of their friends named Nicholas. Now they ended up dropping Nicholas back off at his house, but they took Wendy and Marvin out to a gravel pit where they forced them to get out of the car and they began questioning them, accusing them of snitching. Now Wendy and Marvin said they really didn't snitch and they actually hadn't, but Marvalis and Demarcus did not believe them. So Marvalis shot and killed Wendy and Demarcus shot and killed Marvin, their own friends. After they do this, Demarcus and Marvalis are like, okay, we're good now. I mean, we killed the snitches and we're fine. But what they didn't know was that as soon as they dropped off Wendy and Marvin's friend, Nicholas, he actually went inside and called 911. The whole time that Marvalis and Demarcus were in the car, they were bragging about everything they had done. And Nicholas was absolutely terrified. So when they dropped him off, he went inside and called 911 and told them everything. Eventually he ended up going into the police department, even though he was really scared to do so, he ended up going in and he gave a formal statement. And when he was asked to name all of these people, that was when Laura Taylor's name came up and police finally made the connection that she may be involved in Richmond's death. Because at this point they just figured she was a runaway who was scared and maybe in danger, but now they're hearing that she is a suspect. Nicholas also gives a description of the car that the posse was in at the time, that black shadow Dodge that was stolen from the woman at the gas station. So police decide to put out an all points bulletin for this vehicle and to be on the lookout for it. Hours later, Sergeant John Huber is going around scanning license plates trying to find this black shadow Dodge and see if one is stolen. And he ends up finding one outside of a home and he scans the plate and of course it doesn't match the black shadow Dodge. Because you know, when you scan plates, the type of car that it belongs to shows up, but the plates belonged to a Pontiac Grand Am that belonged to none other than Joseph Wilkerson. And remember Joseph, he was the first victim of the downtown posse. So why are his plates on a black shadow Dodge that doesn't belong to him? Now, John Huber actually found Joseph's car in front of the Black Shadow Dodge. And after scanning the plates on that, they found that those plates belonged to the Black Shadow Dodge. So the posse ended up switching the plates. The Pontiac Grand Am actually hadn't been reported stolen and police didn't know why, but they didn't know that Joseph Wilkerson was dead. So they ended up going to his house to tell him, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but your car is stolen. But once they got there, they immediately smelled a very odd odor. And it was there that they went upstairs and found his body lying in bed decomposing for three days. 
they could look and tell immediately that whoever was in his home and whoever had done this to him had clearly tried to rob him because his home was completely ransacked. So now they figured out why his car hadn't been reported stolen because he was dead. Meanwhile, John Huber is still staking out the house that this Black Shadow Dodge was found in front of because he wants to see if somebody's gonna come out and get inside. And sure enough, three hours later, Marvalis, Demarcus, and Laura all come out of the house and they get inside the Black Shadow Dodge. And John Huber immediately begins following them. Pretty soon he goes to pull the car over and he turns on his lights. And immediately Demarcus Smith just jumps out of the car and runs away. But Sergeant Huber just decides to let him go because he figures he's not gonna get far I mean, he's on foot. He wants to find the two people that are driving and that is Marvalis Keene and Laura Taylor. Eventually they do pull over and as Sergeant Huber is approaching the car, he actually hears Laura tell Marvalis to shoot him. But for whatever reason, Marvalis decided not to. And at that moment, John Huber, he goes up to the car and he sees that it is loaded with firearms and he finds the firearms that were used in the murders. And at that moment, he immediately tells both of them to put their hands up and that they're under arrest. So when they were arrested, Marvalis was actually wearing Wendy's necklace and Danita's flannel. And he also had a knife that was owned by Joseph Wilkerson. So he literally had evidence on him that matched every single victim. It just goes to show how callous he was. I and mean, he literally did not care that he did this because he was wearing their things as if they were some kind of trophy. Police decided to go back to the home that the car had been parked in front of for all that time to see if they could possibly find the rest of the posse. And it was there that they found Demarcus Smith and Heather Matthews, and they were arrested as well. And Demarcus was arrested wearing Danita's shoes. So once again, just a total lack of care and concern for the fact that you killed these innocent people. Police decided to separate all the suspects and interview them in order to see if one of them would talk. Now, first they decide to go to Laura because they figure she's the youngest, she's the most impressionable, so maybe she'll give the most information up. But she was actually the most resistant. When police asked her if she wanted to go to the bathroom just to be nice, she stood up and peed on the floor. So they were like, okay, we're probably not gonna get anything out of her. And they ended up speaking to Marvalis Keene, the so-called ringleader. And at that moment, Marvalis pretty much admitted to everything. He confessed that both he and Laura killed Joseph Wilkerson because they didn't want him to snitch on them for robbing him. He also admitted to killing Sarah Abraham, the convenience store clerk. The first time you shot her, where'd, where'd you have it done? In her mouth. Then where did you shoot him? At the bank in his side and then in the head. Demarcus admitted to shooting and killing Danita Gallette and Heather ended up selling Laura out for killing her ex-boyfriend, Richmond Maddox. So now we have confessions from pretty much all of them except for Laura, but they really wanted to get Laura to talk because she was a very big part of this whole thing, but she refused. That was until a local minister ended up calling the police station saying how shocked he was that Laura had even been involved because he actually knew her and he knew the type of person that she was and he couldn't believe that she would do something like that. Police actually decided to get this minister to come in and see if he could get Laura to talk and it worked. Laura ended up confessing to her crimes. But Laura revealed some information that police were not aware of yet, that Marvalis and Demarcus had shot and killed Wendy Cottrell and Marvin Washington. The two members of the group that weren't involved, but they were afraid that they were gonna snitch, so they killed them. And Laura was able to tell police exactly where their bodies were, and they were found there. Eventually, they got Marvalis and Demarcus to admit to the killings, and they said, yeah, we did it because we had gotten word that they told on us. And they even admitted to unloading their clip on them, 
going back to the car, reloading, and then doing it again. So these were two very brutal murders of two innocent people because they actually hadn't told. The craziest part about this whole thing is how young everybody is. I mean, Laura is only 16, Demarcus is only 17, Marvalis is 19, and Heather is 20. And Wendy Cottrell, she was only 16 too. So it's just crazy how everybody is so young in this situation and they're making such life-altering decisions and they don't even understand or care about the consequences of them. Now when the trial took place there really wasn't much of a defense because everybody had pretty much already confessed and there was so much evidence against him that there really wasn't anything to defend. Marvalis was charged with all six murders because he was involved in all six of them. Laura Taylor and Demarcus Smith were involved in three of them. Now Heather never actually killed anybody but she was charged with aiding and abetting as well as first degree murder because she was there for all of it and she did absolutely nothing to stop it. Now the death penalty was on the line for all four suspects and Heather did not want to get the death penalty. So she just decided to plead guilty in exchange for 180 years in prison. And she also testified against the rest. DeMarcus did the same and he ended up getting 186 years in prison. But I guess Laura and Marvellis had too much pride to plead guilty. So they ended up taking it to trial where of course they were found guilty. Laura got 133 years in prison, but Marvalis received the death penalty. The judge decided to give everybody the maximum sentence and the three that received life sentences, he said that he did this so that way the parole board would know to never let them out. On July 21st, 2009, Marvalis Keene was executed by lethal injection. And when he was asked if he had any last words, he said, no. I have no words. Laura Taylor was denied parole in 2021 and she's eligible for parole again in 2026. But given the nature of their crimes and the fact that the judge said he literally never wants them to get out, they probably won't and they'll most likely spend the rest of their lives in jail. Now, Laura and Heather are actually in the same prison while Demarcus is in another one where they are still going to carry out their life sentences. And like I said, they'll probably never get out of jail. And I think that's a very wise decision. This case really frustrates me because it's just so senseless. I mean, they were literally killing random people for fun and they didn't care who it was. They didn't care what the consequences were and they ruined so many lives. Sarah Abraham, Danita Gallette, Richmond Maddox, Joseph Wilkerson, Wendy Cottrell, and Marvin Washington all deserved better. They were innocent victims in this entire ordeal and yet they faced the most consequences. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching and I hope to see you in the water soon.